Lord God, we come together as your bride, the church, the ecclesia. Father, we thank you for those words that we just sung, reminding us that this is to be a house of miracles, a house of prayer, a house for healing. And the truth is, there's some things that we brought in here to this place today where we need your healing touch. And yet, for some of us, we have just been so overwhelmed by the stronghold, maybe of bitterness, maybe of just disappointment, maybe discouragement. I don't know what that might be, but Lord, today, may those shackles just be broken free so that we will live in the freedom, the freedom that comes from embracing who you are and who you've called us to be. And so, Father, right now, do your work as we open up your uh, holy word. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak through your servant in power and authority. We pray these things in your most holy name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Church, it's so good to be back with you. Uh, Man, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope the tryptophan has, uh, you know, been all burned out of your system, so you're nice and awake. Uh, Double shots of espresso maybe in your coffee today. Uh, Two days ago, I woke up uh, on Los Angeles time at 6 in the morning, which is 9 o'clock in the morning here, two days ago. So pray for me, Uh, because before Los Angeles was India, and uh, I tell you, my body is going, what are you doing? What are you doing? So uh, hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know we did. It was so good to be with Tammy's family, Tammy's side of the family. First time we've been with them for Thanksgiving in about 30 years. And it was so great because we were able to FaceTime our kids. And uh, it was a lesson to me. I like to be in denial sometimes that I need readers. So I never carry readers around. Uh, Never do that. And then um, we're FaceTiming with our kids and... uh, you know, I see the front of a sweatshirt that my son-in-law, um, Aaron, in Philadelphia is wearing, and I thought it was like, uh, you know, a stingray, a picture of a stingray, and I'm like, what the heck is a stingray doing on his uh, uh, sweatshirt? And then it says, you know, we have, and I, I couldn't read it. My brother-in-law says, you know, I think there's something on their shirts. And so we were looking at it, and it's just like, yeah, it was, we have a winner, and then our daughter's T-shirt said, um, this isn't the only turkey in the oven. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to be grandparents again. So that was pretty sweet. That was pretty sweet. Um, if you, yeah, Stingray, I don't know. You can have your imagination go to that. what that was. Anyway, um, it's just so great. We had such a good time. But, you know, coming back here and having experienced what I experienced in India um, and my love for the global church, I was just reminded that I think this has always got to be a a truth that we embrace as a church, Um, really mean that. Uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I love that. It's not narrow-minded. It's, it's for everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I know going to India with the team that we went to, um, I tell you, one of the darkest places I've ever really experienced spiritual oppression was in a city uh, called Varanasi. 
Varanasi, India. Uh, Varanasi is to Hindus what Mecca is to Muslims. Varanasi is the Hindu capital of uh, Hinduism. And if you are a Hindu, you make a pilgrimage to Varanasi. This is the Ganges River. And I tell you, this is their holy river. This picture was taken about 5.45 in the morning. People go there. They dip in the Ganges River. There are um, freshwater dolphins that swim in that river, but that breed is blind because that river is so polluted. And they said nirvana will happen when that uh, river has dolphins who can see. And I can think, man, what an what a interesting thing how, um, you know, our Ezekiel 47 vision where, where when the gospel of Jesus goes forth, that everything that is dead turns to life. And I, I was just thinking, man, I tell you that, I could not get out of Varanasi fast enough because we saw pictures like this, this, uh, this priest, Hindu priests, and, and that white dust on him is cremation dust as he prays for these bodies that are going into the next reincarnated state. I mean, very, very, very dark. But let me tell you, uh, India is just such a very, very unique place. Never been to any place like that. Where you have 1.6 billion people living in a landmass that's a third the size of the United States. 1.6 billion. We have 332 million as a country. They've got 1.6 billion. It was crazy. Uh, one of the states we went to, uh, we went to uh, numerous states. We traveled almost every day, either by, by plane or pl by train. And just giving a, a demonstration or an example of what Christians are going through there in India, uh, one state five years ago imprisoned 12 pastors the entire year. This year, the first six months, that same state imprisoned 580 pastors. Just in the first six months of this year. So we had to be very careful everywhere we went. Uh, whenever uh, there were those who were serving us, when we were meeting with uh, different teams, we had to kind of stop the conversation because you never know. The police are going to... Uh, come in and they just haul you off and can serve one to 11 month um, uh, prison terms. So with that, you would think if that was happening here in the United States, what do you think we as churches would probably be uh, tempted to do? That is going to ground. That is okay. Now we, get, we just got to watch church online because we can't have the risk Yet not the church in India, not the church in India. Church in India, they, they met uh, Mission India, who we were with. We went into these slum territories, and these kids were participating in an after-school Bible club. They were socializing social skills, sports skills, and they were learning Bible stories, and they were singing loudly. And so you come in, and you, and you hear all the singing in the distance. The men, they're not, they are not ashamed of the gospel. 
I mean, really, guys, they are not ashamed of the gospel. It was so awesome. And then um, what's amazing is the literacy or illiteracy, uh, 20% of the male population is illiterate, 35% of the female population is illiterate. And so Mission India, who CFC has teamed up here in the past, um, we were able to go to these uh, literacy um, uh, workshops, and it was just so wonderful, and you look at the age of these women from teens all the way up to their 80s, and they're learning to read for the first time. I had the opportunity in front of this group just to say, hey, now that you get to read, you get to read stories in the Bible like Jesus meeting this woman at the well, and this, this incredible opportunity where she was able to meet the Savior, and you get to read these stories, and it, it, was, it was just so wonderful. But we had the power, we had the authority of God to be able to deliver demons in, in times where there was opportunities where you go, man, they are totally possessed. You could see it, you could hear it, and all of a sudden it's like, man, we got to pray, we got to rally, we got to pray, and to see that deliverance and just say, man, this is the church at work, and the church in India is growing. It, it, is, it is so growing. I think 12 million here, uh, new Christians in the last five years alone. 12 mil. Yeah, yeah, think about that. I mean, that is so good. That is so good. But it's so good because there's this mindset. To what you saw in that church because of the persecution, because of the persecution, you saw this community. You saw this intimacy. You, you saw people saying, man, this is my family. We go to war together. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We met two pastors. Um, these pastors had just come out of imprisonment. We looked at their forearms. You get tattooed every time you're put in a prison right there on your forearms. And it, it was just like, here are the marks. Here are the marks. And you see these two guys, and I didn't want to show a picture of them, but they look like timid guys, which was so a reminder. You know, here in the United States, you got to be charismatic. You got to be a leader to follow. Here you've got these timid little guys, and I was going, man. This is so cool. And as they're sharing a story of how they were imprisoned and the revival and the miracles that happened while they were in prison, they, they just are beaming with, with light. And it's just like, it is so cool. It is so cool. I wish I could grab that, bring that here. Because here in the United States, um, there's not a lot of persecution. You might think life is tough, but this is not persecution. I don't have to fear preaching here and then police coming in and, and cart me off. Don't have to fear that here. You know, this is why the international church is praying for the persecution of the church in the United States. Why? So that we will be pruned and we will be strengthened so that we'll get our roots deep. And I'll tell you, it is just so encouraging to be back with you. But then also realize that um, God has called you and I to not just make a, a, an impact, but deeper impact that truly transforms lives because that's what we are about as a church, right? I mean, transform lives. We don't meet to meet. You know, I, I know a lot of people pick churches like going to a concert. Now, I remember my very first concert I ever went to. This is going to age me. Michael W. Smith's Friends Tour. 
Yeah, baby, how many were there? Hey, all right, here we go. Yeah, friends to her, friends are friends forever and all that kind of stuff. That was written in 1984, my first graduating class, my high school graduating class, the first to adopt that as our song. But you're at these concerts, right? Everyone's singing the songs. Everyone's got the sweatshirts. Everyone's got this. You guys go to concerts. You know the feel. You know the vibe. But just because you love the same style of music and you're there with others who like the same style of music, that doesn't make you intimately knowing the person next to you. The church of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gave his life for his bride, the church. And so today, we have a story that I I think is just so good. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, the Gospel of John chapter 21. It's on page 1078. If you don't have a Bible, we've got one for you under the seat in front of you. But John chapter 21, this is an incredible story because if you read through the Gospel of John, John's account of the life of Christ You read at the end of John chapter 20, and that is a perfect place to stop. If you are writing a story, chapter 20 is the perfect place to stop. Doubting Thomas got his doubts now addressed. Things are good. The resurrected Christ has shown up. But then John writes this. And what I love about it is that the the content in John chapter 21 is vital for the church of Jesus Christ today. Vital that we get this because we're going to see Jesus doing something that he calls you and I to exercise together with one another. And so this is what will help us make a deeper impact. But John chapter 21, could we stand for the reading of God's word? Verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's also the Sea of Galilee. Um, and he revealed himself in this way. And I love how it says it, because he revealed himself in numerous ways after the resurrection. But this is like, okay, this this moment is orchestrated by God. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. So again, we see that Peter has incredible influence. It says, so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, I love that because John nicknames himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you, will have, that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now, why would that be put in there? Because Jesus is in his glorified body. Uh, there is something that's going to be very mysterious about this glorified body, but it's very much like the difference between a seed and a plant, a full-grown plant. Same <laughs> Made of the same substance, but looks a little bit different in form. That's what we have here. Um, Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Lord God, open the eyes of our hearts to what you would have for us from this incredible passage. Speak to us right now, I pray in your holy name. Amen. Please be seated. What's fascinating about this encounter is that if you look elsewhere in the Gospels, you will see that Jesus had made a private meeting with Peter. Why would that be so important? Do you remember what Peter did? Denied him three times. Remember, I mean, Jesus said, hey, this time, by this time tomorrow, you will have denied me three times. And Peter said, no, not me. Uh, that might be true for any of these guys, but definitely not for me. And then he's around a what kind of fire? He was around a charcoal fire the night Jesus was arrested. And a teenage girl says, hey, aren't you with that Jesus guy? And he said, no, not me. And three times he did that, and then he heard the rooster crow. You see, Jesus knew that something had to be done to that relationship. Otherwise, Peter, who is the leader of the gang, <laughs> Peter, the leader of the gang, there, there would be a problem because he would carry the shame with him everywhere he went, saying, okay, yes, I have been commissioned, but not me because I disappointed my Lord and Jesus, two different times, makes a, a private conversation 
the text says there was times where Jesus met with Peter, but why would John include this in his gospel? I mean, I want you to think about it. He includes this in his gospel because he was a good friend to Peter. He wanted you to understand the journey that Jesus had. Jesus had to approach Peter in front of the other disciples because there was a huge elephant in the room. Yes, Jesus might have had these private encounters with Peter, but now the disciples knew that Peter had betrayed their Lord three times. The, the disciples knew it. And because of that, the disciples also had to be shown this amazing amount of grace and mercy exercised by Jesus. He needed to see that. It was going to be imperative to his commission. And so I'm going to have us go through what we learn in this text from Jesus but then also address what are some obstacles that keep us or the church of Jesus Christ primarily here in America, what keeps us from a deeper impact? And I think there's lessons that we can be uh, learning from this. The first one is this, Jesus met them where they were. He met them where they were. Now, if you read Matthew 28, Jesus had told his disciples, hey, uh, I will meet you on a hill in Galilee. Now, most likely, that's maybe the place where um, the Sermon on the Mount was. But again, close proximity to the sea. But what does Peter find himself doing? And don't blame him. Don't fault him for this. I think there's two ways that you can wait for somebody. You could sit down and do nothing, or you could actively do something while you're waiting. Peter was a doer. So he's like, hey, you know, I know how to fish. Let's go fishing. Seven of the other uh, 12 disciples were with him at that moment. And again, what you are seeing here still, even with Jesus now having died, was resurrected, you still have John chapter 21 showing the miracle of unity amongst these uh, disciples who were in the boat. You know, when you, when you study these guys, I, you know, I think of guys like uh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel, really, he was a, a merchant. He, his name comes from a royal lineage. So you've got Nathaniel, you've got Peter, who stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. Um, you had Thomas, who was a thinker, and we know from chapter 20, he was a doubter, and Jesus met him there. You've got Simon the Zealot, who is political, who wanted to do away with the Romans. Yet, well, at the very same time, you've got Levi, whose name was Matthew, who was a tax collector, who, according to the Jews, was in bed with the Romans. So you've got this incredible variety, and everything in this culture, the cultural context in which we read the story, is divided. Groups divided over everything. But here you've got these disciples, they are still together. They are still together. Jesus met them where they were. And, and, and then he, Jesus is 100 yards off, and he sees what they're doing, and he asks them, hey, have you, children, have you caught any fish? I mean, again, he's just, he, he's there, he's yelling out, and uh, they had fished all night and caught nothing. Now, why would you fish at night? 
so that you would have fish in the morning to sell at market. But also, um, with those boats, you could have a torch, and sometimes fish are drawn to light. But all night, they caught nothing. I think that's a miracle. I, I really do. I think this is a miracle of God that no fish were caught. And so Jesus, he, he asked them what their condition was because he wants them to verbalize their condition. And I think he does the same for us. We see this time and time in Scripture. He comes upon a lame guy who'd been lame for over 30 years. He says, hey, you want to be healed? Uh, duh. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to be healed? Why would you ask that question? I think because many of us dupe ourselves into thinking we want to be healed when we really don't. Here, Jesus says, hey, children, did you catch anything? <laughs> um, no. And so then he gives them some fishing advice. Well, who is Jesus? Jesus from Nazareth. I mean, what does a carpenter know about fishing? Well, you know what? Jesus kind of created the fish. I, I mean, he knows something about fishing. Um, there was a historian, a fourth century historian, who I, I don't know, haven't done even more research on this, haven't even asked AI, chat GBT, haven't even asked AI about this, but at that time, um, the number of fish that were caught um, was reflective of that many breeds of fish that were known to live at that time. I don't know. I go, well, that's interesting. I don't know if it's true, but it's interesting. Anyway, um, take that for what you want. But 153 fish. But what was Jesus' instruction given to them? Cast your net on the right side of the boat. Do you know what the span of distance that is? And do you know that fish can swim under a boat? Cast your net on the right side and you will, you'll catch something. Seven and a half foot distance. I think so many of us are trying and trying and trying and living and trying to please God, trying to obey God as best as you can and all that. But the, the problem is the, um, you, you may not be on the same frequency. You might be doing all these great things, but we haven't learned from the model of Jesus where when his disciples were looking for Jesus, where did they seem to always find him when they didn't know where he was? Praying. He's with the, with the Father again. He's off praying again. Why was he doing that? I believe so that he knew exactly. He walked by a lot of sick people. He didn't heal everybody. He walked by a lot of sick people. But I believe he was so in tune with the Father, it says, okay, here's the one you got to press into. Here's the one you got to press into. And I think so many of us might find ourselves to be weak fisher people. <laughs> um, you know, again, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Um, I think we might be weak because we just don't get in tune very much with what the Lord says. Here, obedience only meant seven and a half feet of difference, and that made all the difference. Why? Because Jesus said, here's where I want you to fish. 
I think when it comes to people, we've got to meet people where they are, but we've got to listen first and provide guidance and support second. What, do, what else do we see? Offer encouragement when necessary. Offer encouragement when necessary. How did Jesus encourage these guys? Well, not only giving them good, sound fishing advice and them blown away by the catch, but see, what he does is he has breakfast waiting for them. He's got that charcoal fire. Why a charcoal fire? I think to bring Peter back to that place of denial and say, hey, let's make this place now a place of restoration. And Peter, what I find fascinating, does this story that we just read ring a bell to you? Does this story ring a bell? All night fishing, no fish. Jesus comes, can I buy your boat? Hey, let's go fishing. Peter rolls his eyes. This isn't the time you fish, but because you said it, we'll do it. They put their nets deep. They catch such a huge haul of fish, they can't haul it in. And Peter in Luke 5 says, wow, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Do you see what happened in Luke 5 at the very beginning of the call? Peter recognizes that Jesus is some, someone very different than anyone he's ever met. And he says, depart from me. What does Peter do now after living with Jesus, seeing the work of Jesus, seeing Jesus die, seeing Jesus resurrect? What does Peter do now? He did something that was culturally unacceptable. <laughs> he swam in his clothes to get 100 yards faster to get there to Jesus as fast as he could. That's a big difference. I, I tell you, what a beautiful picture. And in doing that, Jesus offers encouragement. He offers encouragement. He, in front of the other disciples, three times, three times, Peter, do you love me? Now, I know you've probably heard sermons on this text before, and sometimes I can't always understand why so much is made of that terminology. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I agape you, or yes, Lord, I phileo you, or whatever. This, the language Jesus would have spoken at this time was Aramaic, and there wasn't that differentiation in Aramaic. It's like, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I, I think there's just something that Jesus three times had to press in. Man, do you love me? Do you love me? And through this, I think he just saw the eyes of a loving Savior who just says, you know what, Peter, man, I know you could be hard on yourself. But remember, I called you out to join me on mission. Remember, I called you out of fishing for fish. Now I'm calling you into fishing for people with the good news of the gospel. I tell you, when I was in uh, Varanasi, I value my job here. I value my family here. But everything in me wanted to just scream out in Varanasi, Jesus loves you. I so badly wanted to do it, and I was fighting it. 
And I was walking to the streets and there was such darkness and there was such despair. And I just want to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You guys got to know this. Jesus loves you. But I know you wouldn't be seeing me here. But I so badly wanted to, so badly wanted to. The world needs to know that there's a God who loves, that you don't have to perform. You don't have to go to Varanasi to make your pilgrimage there. You don't have to try to do all of these things, offer all these sacrifices, the sacrifice. Why we are not ashamed of the gospel is that Jesus paid the price. And at the end of dying on the cross, he says, it is finished. Stop working so hard for my love. You've got my love. Now run with this. Just run with this. So that this can truly be a house of prayer, a house of miracles, so that you'll see it. You just got to press in and know, hey, Jesus is calling me to fish here. But man, I get so concerned after preaching here nine years. So man, how many of you are getting it? How many of us are getting it? How many of us are taking advantage of our spheres of influence, knowing that the Holy Spirit of God placed us there to be a light, to be able to meet people where they are, to be able to listen first and then provide guidance second, to offer encouragement. And then when we get to see these, and I tell you, these Indian uh, pastors were sharing about those who had persecuted them in prison and then coming to faith in prison. And then just saying, okay, now that you've done that, I invite you to participate with us as we are about spreading the news that we are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he loves us so much, that he incarnated himself into humanity, lived the perfect life you couldn't live, died the death you deserve to die, proved that he had the power to forgive sins, conquered death. I mean, who could conquer that kind of brutal kind of death? Jesus could conquer that. He did that so he would remind us that we have a greater story and we have a greater hope and this world on this side of glory is not heaven and we try to make this side of glory heaven. We give all of our resources to this side of glory being heaven. This is why we have these exercises of special offerings for mission because we have said this is to be a gymnasium to exercise spiritual muscles and everything in our culture is hoard for yourself, hoard for yourself, save for a rainy day. You want to have a comfortable retirement. You want all these kind of things and we go, man, I don't know, is 20,000 enough? Is 40,000 enough? Is 1 million enough? Is 2 million enough? We exercise this not because we want more money, but we want to help exercise the muscle of generosity so that more resources can be poured into benefiting the kingdom of God moving forward. That's why we do what we do. See, Jesus doesn't need your help, but he wants your involvement. His model is to partner with others. You see, we need community so bad. But you know, community requires a couple different things. To have true community, true koinonia, there's got to be this level of intimacy. There's got to be this level where we are known. And the difficulty nowadays, I just read an article 
in Outreach Magazine about a church in Europe that had their first virtual service that was taught by an avatar reading a chat GBT sermon, okay? And it was like, it was all computer done. And they, they, they packed the place out. And I'm sure they packed the place out because it was intrigued. Wow, what is this like? But it's just a fascinating trend because of this simple fact. Everybody is looking for community and everybody is looking for the perfect community where nobody can let them down, where nobody lets anybody down. Can I just be frank with you? That community does not exist. If you are looking for the church to be that for you, then you are in for a huge disappointment. Why would I say that? I mean, come on, pastor, why would you dare to say that? Because I've been around and I've seen people come to church, leave church, all kinds of reasons. I've got a list of reasons people have given for leaving Grace Spring. You don't teach the gospel enough. You don't teach the Bible enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. It's just like, all right, okay, I am who I am, and here we go. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's like, can't help that kind of thing. But people truly are looking for perfect community. And everyone is going to be let down by people, and that's an inevitability. And if you don't think that is biblical, I, I did Devo's the other morning. It was fantastic. On the end of 2 Timothy, and I'm sharing this with the elders tomorrow um, in our meeting. But it was so good because the very last writings of the Apostle Paul said something like this, do your best to come to me soon. Why? Because he knows he's going to be executed. This is his very last writings. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Whoa, whoa, wow, bummer. He's calling out names. He said, hey, this person deserted me. Hey, this person uh, left me for a good reason, but this person really left me for not so good reason. And he does all that. And then he says this in verse 16, at my first offense, no one came to stand, to, came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Hey, does that sound like, man, this is so great we're part of the church. Man, I had a hard time, and nobody came to my defense. I tried to stand against this one who opposed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and none of you stood with me. Isn't that good news? Could that be a huge disappointment? And Paul said, man, I, I got to find me another church, because this is too disappointing. What I love about Paul is he says this, may it not be charged against them. Does that sound like a bitter heart? Does not sound bitter at all. Because he knows we live in a fallen world, but to have real community, it needs uh, authenticity, it needs uh, intimacy, and it requires risk. And this is why so many people now are watching church online because it doesn't require risk. Man, I, I watch somebody and I don't have to get close to people and people don't have to get close to me. I'm not going to be disappointing them. They're not going to be disappointing me. 
I'm telling you, that's not church. It's not church. I'm glad we could do online for those of you who are infirmed and cannot get here any other way. I'm so glad we offer this. But for those of you who just have grown so lazy and said, yeah, church is what I see or it's who I surf and who I listen to, trust me, that is not church. That is not church. Any pastor puts together this beautiful, professional, awesome sermon and go, man, that really moved me. Great. Man, that's awesome. AI could do the same thing. That is not church. Church is a place where people are loved, shepherded, cared for, loved, where grace and mercy can be exercised. That's just the truth. Will people disappoint? Yes, they'll disappoint. I don't expect you to disappoint, but I know that's going to happen from time to time. But my hope is not in you. My hope is in the Lord. And that's what Paul always comes back to. My hope is in the Lord. You know, I had this beautiful time. Uh, for those of you who watch Amazing Race, <laughs> it just, we happened to be in Jaipur uh, when this was showing here in the United States. And uh, I happened to lead a devotional here at this uh, incredible um, cistern that, you know, collects all this water. And you'd see all those steps going down to the well. And it was just so beautiful just to be able to, do this devo that reminded us of John chapter 7 where Jesus says, hey, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let him come to me. And in coming to him is also being a part of his bride. See, Tammy and I are married, and it's a beautiful thing. But we don't want anything to come between that. But to love Tammy is to love me. To love me is to love Tammy. In the very same way, the church of Jesus Christ. We live in a day where the church is dissed right and left. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Jesus. I have nothing to do with his bride. Come on. You, you can't do that. You can't do that biblically. Just can't do it. That we are here for one another. We're here for one another. Jesus says, hey, from you when you drink of me from you will flow streams of living water. That's the miracle, church. And the more of us that are side by side, not letting differences get in the way, but seeing our differences really not as weaknesses, but as strengths, and for us to come together, partner shoulder to shoulder, and say, you know what, you might be a different political party persuasion. You might hold to a different theological eschatology. You might, whatever, we could come up with a whole different name. But here's the thing. We are going to be united because we love Jesus Christ and we're responding to his love. And he says, live and give your life for something bigger than your own kingdom. Give yourself to the kingdom of the Lord. Amen. Folks, this is why. This is why our Christ followers for change, we think that the world really needs, the world really needs to see churches and communities coming together and doing some things together. And this is an opportunity, this offering, we haven't done this before, or it's been a long time since we've done a special offering like this before. But you know, we have asked that this offering go above and beyond your normal tithe. Why are we doing this? Because... We need to exercise the gift of generosity. And I know Christmas is around the corner. Yes, it is. But how 
is your giving reflected of what God's word says? Give till it hurts. Give till it hurts. And missions is one of the greatest things we could be giving to. And you have gotten your growth guides, your growth guides, and also Anita put together just a wonderful um, description of CFC and the different um, ways we are partnering because we always want to partner with those who have, are doing self-sustaining ministry that's not dependent on us, but depending on the culture in which it is pouring into. And so um, with that, I just pray that you... This is not a guilt thing. It's not a shame thing. So far, we're about a quarter of the way to our goal. But you know what? I just, for some reason, the Lord put on my heart, hey, tell them 40. Shoot for 40,000. Shoot. You know, the last few years, we've given 10,000 to this offering. But I think with how God has blessed us, let's see what we might be able to do. So I'm going to invite the uh, ushers later, not now. But ushers get ready. Um, but I want you to really be in prayer as we uh, just have a response song. And then I'm going to invite somebody up to uh, give testimony as to what the Lord is doing. Um, but again, I want you to prayerfully consider how you might give above and beyond your normal giving today as we pass the plate. And for those of you online, we do have a push pay way of uh, supporting this. Just put in the memo line, CFC or offering or Christ followers for change. But can I pray for us? Lord God, thank you so much for being a Lord who meets us where we're at. And I thank you for the story of redemption, the story that we got to see how you pressed into Peter, how you loved on Peter, and how that really was the seed uh, that or the, the the act that cultivated something marvelous happening on Pentecost, where Peter proclaimed and three thousand are saved in one day. I think this moment had a lot to do to play into that. And so, Father, I pray for anyone here who thinks that they're just too far gone, that there's just too much going on. They are not even daring to see you do powerful things in and through them. Lord, I pray that today will be a day where they are not ashamed of the gospel and that the overflow of drinking from you will flow out to the praise of you by loving others incredibly. So, Lord, do your work, we pray in your holy name.